Michael Russell, uh, welcome and thank you very much for speaking to the ATP podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Candy. Yeah, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Um, I remember watching you actually as a, a player and yeah, I remember you telling me a story about all your travel woes and now you're doing it as a coach. What on earth has brought you to this point? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I've always had such a passion for the game and now I can complete the opposite end where as a player you're a little more selfish now I'm selfless mm -hmm. and I travel with my wife which also makes a big difference because traveling 30 to 35 weeks out of the year that's creates a little more normalcy as you say with the craziness of the travel and uh, we, we enjoy it. Do you look back at your playing days and wish you could have seen it as a coach and you would have done better? I mean for sure. You know, I'm looking through a different lens mm. completely as a coach, and you pick up a lot more details, a lot more specifics, things that, you know, as you get more experienced, even just in life, you know, you, you look back and you want to do other things and wish you could rewind the button and, and go back and do things, so for sure. If you could rewind the button, what would you do differently? Quite a few things. I, I'm one of the, I want to say few players, but overtrained, really. Um, so I, I think I would have scaled that down a little bit and just focus a little more in the match itself and just be a little bit smarter with um, the way I approach things. Sometimes more isn't always better. Mm. You know, it's more about the quality than the quantity. And, you know, I obviously I do that now in, in my coaching. And I think that could have helped me a little more uh, while I was playing as well. Oh, that's so interesting. So um, you overtrain because you would say a lot of talented players would undertrain even these days but you think you would have scaled it back and, and trained less and were perhaps less hard on yourself is that fair that's fair yeah I mean I'm very hard on myself I think I could have done a better job mentally you know sometimes mm. um, you know to be successful you have to be sort of a perfectionist in, in all realms of life and I think sometimes I was a little bit quick to be so hard on myself that I didn't see the bigger picture and kind of reset and reanalyze and get back into the present. Uh, not always, but, you know, those are some things I think I could have done a better job with. And, you know, I, if someone said running was good for you, if someone said jumping rope was good for you, if someone said biking was good for you, I would do all three in one day, you know, instead of just, you know, having more of a detailed program and and you know as I got a little bit older on tour I realized that I knew my body better but you know in the beginning I just wanted to you know maximize everything that I had to be successful but there's still a, a fine line where you cross that point where it might be a little too much. Is that a matter of having someone who's a mentor or a coach just telling you scale down which is what you now are to Taylor Fritz? It definitely helps. I mean, it helps having a, a, a great team around you. Um, my wife, again, you know, I mean, she traveled with me the last uh, five years on tour full time, and it was great, you know, having her there as a team because another voice that can help you see the light and, and guide you in the right way. My father was my coach in juniors, um, so he was there for a lot of it, which which was fantastic. But just, you know, as you continue to progress, you want to make sure you have the voices that you listen to because that's also the stubbornness sometimes kicks in and but you have to have someone keep reiterating the right way to follow and then hopefully that resonates and, and you do listen. I was uh, listening to an interview with Dara Abramovich, the um, psychologist of Igor Sviantec 
And she said the most surprising thing to her was the stubbornness on tour that players didn't really have that growth mindset and weren't prepared to change. Was that something that you struggled with? I, I struggled with the funny things. I struggled with it when it came to uh, physicality ways, you know, so I always want to do all the fitness, but I was quick to change equipment a lot, which I think it's kind of the tennis player's mentality. You know, you don't want to blame anything on yourself, you know, so whether it's the coach or the physio or the equipment. Mm -hmm. So I was one of those that was quick to point fingers at my equipment and change string and kind of tinker a little too much, which a lot of times was detrimental, you know, playing. And I'm the complete opposite as a coach. You know, I don't want the player to, to tinker at all. I want him to pick the equipment. Let's use it. Put all the hours into it. You know, it's it's a part of your hand. Yeah. You know, you so many shots. You know, a million forehands and backhands. It becomes your you know your your weapon that you're used to using. So. And we know in this game, there's no quick fix. As my university college coach told me, no magic dust. Exactly. But it's so annoying, isn't it, that there isn't magic dust? I know, and we're always looking for it. We always <laughs> want that little magic pill, you know, that can just, oh, you take it, boom, you're winning this tournament, you're top 10. And it's yeah. just, at the end of the day, it's the consistency, the hard work, you know, the sweat, the tears, and it's just, you know, in this sport, there's, oh, we've heard it, there's only one winner every week, mm. you know, so you can literally lose in the finals of every single tournament and be, probably be ranked close to number one in the world and you never won a tournament the whole year, and you had an unbelievable year. And it's just, you know, learning how to cope with that every week, and that's what makes a, a champion. And that must really help tailor the fact that you've done it, you've been there, you understand exactly the disappointments, the highs, the lows. Um, is that something you talk to him about every day? Definitely. I mean, it's just also being even keel, you know, which is, as you said, it's managing the ups and downs, not getting too high, not getting too low. I mean, Taylor won Indian Wells, which was incredible the way he played so well and and it's understanding that this is your level that you do belong in in mm -hmm. a top 10 player and, and you can be there and you can compete for grand slam titles and at the same time not get complacent and expect yourself to play at this level all the time it's the hard work the perseverance that you have to put in day in and day out to get to that level and you know as you see it you can have injuries we've had an injury through the clay court season where he had to take time off didn't play a lot uh, struggled a little bit a month ago um, just to get some matches back mm. um, but it's just yeah it's just you can't get complacent because everybody is so hungry in the sport he is such a natural athlete or that that's what appears to me and obviously his physical size gives him a big advantage was he or did he have the work ethic that you did I mean Taylor is an unbelievable ball striker his hand-eye coordination is incredible I mean just the way he's able to pick up balls and, and reflex and then also, you know, generate power. You know, he can literally, one of the players that can take the racket out of your hand. And so I think that's one of the things that I help bring beside analyzing and, and, and focusing on his game, but the physical side, you know, really focusing a little more on the, on the mm -hmm. physicality of things because even as talented as Taylor is, you still have to be physical on the court. And so if we can just increase by 1%, his reaction time, his explosiveness, his stamina, you know, that just gives us bounds of confidence to him and realizes that he can play deep in the Grand Slams, play three out of five. And so it's just that 1% just, you know, exponentially increases. Physically, you and him are very different. Is that fair to say? Of course. Um, so how do you help him and how does he, I suppose, help you in reverse? 
Well, it's also knowing the player, you know, just not one size fits all. Obviously, if when I'm doing fitness and I'm looking at the way I played, it's, you know, it's apples and oranges the way Taylor plays. So it's, it's tailoring his fitness and along with his physio um, to the way he plays and what he needs to say, stay one injury free, which is most important. Mm -hmm. And then slowly creating more explosiveness, quicker reaction time, you know, all things that can help his game be a little more powerful, a little more explosive, get him reacting quicker to the net um, mm. to get to where he wants to be. Has it been quite a steep learning curve for you given the way that you played as I remember you were a, a baseliner, more of a counterpuncher, somebody that would try and absorb pace and give it back as opposed to him who's got those long levers and create, can create a lot of power? Not so much just because I mean, I've been coaching now for seven years and professionally, and I've worked with quite a few different game styles. So, and that's one of the things you have to adapt to the way that different players play and understand that every player has their own skill set, you know. And so, it's knowing that, and then just making sure that you're not only working on making his strengths stronger, but then also making his weaknesses better as well. And you mentioned earlier the team, because of course this is an individual sport, but no player can do it alone, especially not these days. You have a team around you and there's another couple of coaches that I know that you work with. You're the traveling coach of Taylor Fritz. So how much do you use their guidance and mentorship to improve yourself? No, it's great. I mean, um, so along with myself, Paul Anacone, um, Wolfgang Oswald, the physio, I mean, we are in constant communication and group chats and just we're all there to make sure that, you know, Taylor's in the right pathway to become as, becoming as successful as he can be and, you know, maximizing his talent. Um, Paul Anacone, of course, the former coach of where he's worked with Roger Federer and Tim Henman and Pete Sampras, I believe, and a former University of Tennessee Vol, which okay. is where I went. I so didn't know you went there. I've got something in common. Yes. Um, very little in common with Paul Anacone, but what a mentor for you to have. What a guy with huge experience. Do you sort of try and get all that he has to give as much as you can? I mean, Paul and I work together. Um, I think, you know, Paul knows Taylor really well. He started working with Taylor, I believe, five years ago. So I think it's great to, you know, talk with Paul and then, you know, because he knows Taylor so well, we can dissect his game and I'm with Taylor pretty much 24 7 365 so it's just we bounce ideas back and forth off each other and it's just a, a great relationship we have Paul's an exceptional human being and um, I've always gotten along well with Paul even before you know working with Taylor because I've known Paul for a long time and uh, it's just it's a great uh, teamwork that Taylor has he's a very calm um presence isn't he Paul he seems to really think things through he doesn't get too emotional yes no he's very even keel and I think most of Taylor's team is which is great because Taylor's a little more of a emotional reactive type of human being which is which is great but you don't want several other members of your team to be the same mindset so I think the fact that we're all pretty calm uh, helps bring down that level a little bit and gives Taylor also the, that feeling of normalcy and given that you're the traveling coach and, as you said, spend 365 uh, days with him a year, it must be nice for you to have your wife here and just give Taylor his own time, but also have your time to be sort of a normal married man. Of course. Yeah, I mean, that, that's <laughs> the only way I would even do it. Um, so after, you know, playing 17 years on tour, which is quite a bit of time, um, yeah, to, to be able to come back on tour. And I, I still love coaching. I want to do it at the highest level. 
but to have my wife with me to enjoy the experiences and also I mean kudos to her for sacrificing so much because it's not for everyone so it's uh it's it's special and marriage is all about communication um, and obviously being a great tennis coach is also about being a communicator um, if, when things aren't going so well, how do you deal with that with Taylor? Is he quite receptive to some criticism? Do you tend to give him a little bit more time? He's very communicative, which is great, because um, I've had different experiences. You know, everybody's different. Some people internalize things. Other people externalize. Taylor's more of a externalized um, way of communicating, which is great. When things don't go well, then I usually just bring it up. You know, he doesn't like to wait too long. And that's just knowing the player, you know, knowing how they are. And so we, we talk it through, and, and he's very good at giving feedback. And we, we basically go back and forth, and I give him my insight. And, you know, he usually has a, a pretty strong opinion, um, which is good. And then we don't always resolute everything. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, the fact that we're communicating back and forth um, is the most important. Is this the same in marriage? Your wife, if she's got problems, she comes straight to you, Michael. We need to talk about this. <laughs> she, my wife is always right. She's, uh, no, nah, she's amazing. Um, no, I mean, our communication, that's why it works so well. So we, we don't hide anything and we always um, speak with each other and, uh, you know, we, we're with each other all the time, but uh, we're also best friends. That's lovely yeah. to hear. And you seem like a, a really educated guy who likes to sort of ask questions and find things out. Are you somebody who reads a lot? I do. Um, I mean, I finished my degree online while I was still playing, which was, which was challenging, but it was fun. It was great for time management. Yeah. But I do, yeah. I, I try to constantly learn, and whether it's um, investments, I do a lot of real estate on the side, oh. or... I'm looking at just further education, you know, series. I, I'm always trying to just further the mind, and it, I just feel like it's it's being productive with your time. Well, it sounds like you're very productive. If you're a traveling tennis coach, you're one of the best players in the world, and you're also dealing in real estate. So you're buying and selling and 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 fixing up. No, so that that would be yeah, that'd be tough. I had to be there for the for the. The, the fixing and flipping. No, it's more um, as, as a passive realtor okay. um, and investing. So I'm, it's more just analyzing deals, looking to see if you want to be an investor. It's mostly commercial and, and just making sure it's the, the right properties and the right deals. Do you have a partner that you work with at home? There's someone who's a little bit more, uh, has a bit more of a consistent I'm, lifestyle? <laughs> I'm part of, a, of a, a bigger group where we analyze deals and I'm, you know, I, I can travel. So it's just, I'm, I'm one of the partners, limited partners in the group. And there's other guys that are, have the boots on the ground and then we trust each other and you just go through it that way. That's really cool. Is your wife involved in that as well? She, yeah, she does a little bit um, as far as like analyzing and reviewing some of the contracts and, and just looking at the properties and kind of weeding out some of the properties that might not fit the bill. A multi-talented family. How do you think your tennis background has impacted your business life? I think it's good just for the, the time management and a little bit of kind of what we alluded to, the perfectionism. You know, so you want to make sure the deals fit all the right criteria before you even do further due diligence. Um, and I think that's good. Uh, you don't want to just obviously throw money at something and just hope that it does well, which is always a challenge sometimes. So I think the fact that I'm, I'm used to looking at all the details in tennis and trying to be as professional as possible kind of translates over into the real estate and not to say that I'm always picking winners in real estate you know you can obviously have some some lemons too but in general you know I think that's the best way to look at it so the devil's in the details is that sort of a philosophy of yours 
Definitely. I mean, I try to the expression, you know, dot all the I's, cross all the T's and make sure I'm, I'm doing everything right that I can control and the things that are out of my control, so be it. But I don't want to, at the end of the day, whether it's on the court, playing, coaching, business side, not maximizing the time, the efficiency, and also, you know, just making sure I'm, I'm doing the best I can to be successful in that certain situation. Taylor Fritz is very lucky to have you, Michael Russell. Thank you very much for speaking to ATP Podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Candy. I appreciate it.